All right, I told you it was about to get interesting in the book of Judges. What a passage, huh? Um, welcome back to RUF. I'm really glad that you're here, particularly if this is your first time. I want to welcome you, and if you've been here, you notice I've got a music stand now. <laughs> Seriously, the first time, I guess second time if you were last week, in 10 years of doing RUF that I've used a music stand, so I guess uh, we've officially transitioned after two weeks of dropping notes. Um, but if you're here, welcome. We're really glad you're here. We're studying the book of Judges if this is your first time. We're, uh, so we're in the Old Testament this semester. And one of the things we're learning is that Judges is a book about rebellious people. God's people, uh, and through looking at the Israelites, the people of God, the Bible and the book of Judges kind of acts like a mirror that holds up to us and shows us our own heart. So as we go, we're going through this book, we're learning something about ourselves as well. But not only is it about God's rebellious people, at the very same time, it's a book about God's relentless grace for his people. It's a book about the patience and the kindness of God. Tonight we come to Judges chapter 3, that crazy passage, and probably tonight more than ever we need to remember that this is God's word, that the word of God, is, it says in 2 Timothy, has been breathed out by him, and it's useful for us. This crazy passage about bowel movements and death actually is profitable for us. It has something to say to us tonight. Uh, and so let's pray and ask God to come and to teach us through this incredible, interesting passage in Judges 3. Let's pray. Father, um, we ask that you would come and... Father, meet with us. Some of us are discouraged tonight. Others of us are lonely. Uh, some of us are anxious. Um, Father, some of us are wrestling with our own sin and the shame. Some of us are struggling with unbelief, wondering and trying to figure out what we think about Christianity. So we come from lots of different places in this room, and would you come and meet with us tonight and encourage us and uh, transform us and move us through this passage in Judges chapter 3. Uh, would you do these things and show us Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, Joe Novenson, he is a pastor on... The, Lookout Mountain, he pastored a church up there for many, many years, Lookout Mountain, many of you know, is near Chattanooga, Tennessee. And when you pastor a church for 30 plus years in a particular area, particularly like Lookout Mountain, uh, you get to know the people in the community pretty well. Uh, you also get to know people of different uh, backgrounds than you. And so he, Joe Novenson, had, through years and years of being on the mountain, had struck up a friendship with this Jewish guy named Bruce. He was a small business owner on the mountain. And Joe's daughter actually had a project in school on Judaism. And so Joe knew Bruce and 
knew that he was Jewish, and so he goes to Bruce and says, hey, would you mind if we borrowed your Torah? Uh, for, my daughter's got a project, and that'd be very helpful. And Bruce, of course, gave it to Joe, and Joe's daughter did the project. And then when she was done with the project, listen to what Joe Novenson does. He takes that Torah, and when he received it, it was just beaten and battered and jacked up and the the binding is like falling off pages are falling out the leather is all cracked on this torah and so joe before he gives it back to bruce takes the torah and gets it bound in the finest nicest leather he could buy and he takes it and he gives it to bruce and when he gives it to bruce bruce immediately begins to weep almost uncontrollably. And I love that story. And the reason why I love that story is because we expect the impact to come through telling. We expect the impact to come through correcting Bruce or through challenging Bruce and his views on Jesus. But the impact did not come that way. The impact came not from the telling, but when Joe actually showed him Jesus by loving and serving him. And when he loved and served him, it actually totally melted him and had an impact. That's the way it always is, though, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Think about your sorority sister. Or think about your really good friend. And we always immediately expect that the change in their life is going to come when we say just the right thing and say it perfectly and say it at just the right time or when we, the impact's going to come when we live perfectly in front of that person and make all the right moves. But instead, that's not the way it happens, is it? Instead, the impact often comes through your sin, through you actually blowing it big time in front of them and hurting them and going to them and saying, I am so sorry for the way I've treated you. Would you please forgive me? And then they melt. Or the impact comes through serving and loving them or praying for them. Or the impact comes through sharing your own vulnerability and your own brokenness with them in such a way that they say, oh, you're not perfect, you struggle too. And boom, your relationship goes to a whole new level. It reminded me of a campus minister who'd been in RUF for uh, over 10 years. And he was talking about a particular student who he had seen a couple of years after he had graduated and run into, and this particular student, he said, was at everything. Every large group, every small group, went on every single conference that they offered, and he ran into him and he asked him what, did he, what he remembered about his time in college, what he remembered about his involvement with RUF, and listen to what the student said. Out of all the teaching... All the conferences, the student says, I remember the time that we had coffee. And about 30 minutes into the coffee, you looked at me and said, you know what, I really need to go because I've got to go home and be with my family. 
That had such an impact on me, he said, because I grew up with a father who was not around. Now think about that. We think the impact's going to come from the teaching and from large group, and yes, it might, but we think it's going to come through the messages on Wednesday night, but it was actually this 10-second conversation, almost a throwaway line, that actually had the impact and actually ministered to this student in a life-changing way. That is what this passage is about. Here's the main idea. God uses unexpected people and unexpected things to accomplish his purposes in the world. God uses unexpected people and unexpected things to accomplish his purposes in the world. We see three things. God uses an unexpected person. Number one, if you have an outline before you, he uses them in an unexpected way and for an unexpected reason. Let's look at number one, an unexpected person. Look at verse 13. The Israelites did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That sound familiar? If you've been coming, there's the, the cycle of the judges that we see going once again. And remember, the evil is that the people turned away and started worshiping other gods that were around them. And then God sends an oppressor. In this point, it's Eglon, the king of Moab. And they take them off into slavery. And then all of a sudden they start crying, God, we quit. We don't want to be here. We know that real freedom is with you. And so they repent and they cry out. And then what does God do? God again sends a deliverer, a judge, to come and to to deliver and save his people. And this time, it is a man by the name of Ehud, an unlikely hero, an unlikely man, who gets the call to go and to to deliver God's people. Look at verses 15 and 21. What stands out to you about those verses? Look at them closely. It's actually repeated. And the author's making a note to say that he is left-handed. Now think about how crazy odd that is. I mean, why in the world would the author want to tell us (laughs) that this particular judge is left-handed? Anytime we see that as we're reading and studying our Bibles, the alarm should sound when we see something odd and particularly repeated, we should immediately say the author's trying to tell us something. This is really big. And it's big because of this. There's something lost in the translation in the English Bible because the Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament, it liter- left-handed literally means a bound of right hand. Bound of right hand. In other words, Ehud could not use his right hand. Ehud was crippled. He was handicapped. He was maimed. And God uses this very unexpected man, unlikely hero, to be the savior of his people. And if you think about it, that's probably why Eglon led him back into his presence and dismissed his guards. Because he's looking at Ehud and saying, he's crippled. What can he do? And so he lets him... In and he becomes an unlikely deliverer for his people. But here's what we need to ask. Why? 
Why out of all of the people that God could have chosen to, do, to deliver his people, why would he choose a crippled man named Ehud? It's because in this passage, and we see it from Genesis to Revelation throughout the entire Bible, here's the pattern. God chooses weak, flawed, sinful, broken, messed up people. And he overlooks the strong. He overlooks the prideful. He overlooks the people that have it all together and say they need nothing. And in doing so, here's what God teaches us. That salvation from beginning to end is grace. That his rescue of you has zero to do with you and everything to do with him. It's his power. It's his might. It's his mighty hand that delivers you and it's nothing in and of yourself. That's why he chooses Ehud. Because he wants to show us what he's like and that he delivers and saves by grace, not by merit. And so here's a question. Application. How do you see yourself tonight? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as one that is put together and that God is really lucky to have you on his team as being really good? Or do you see yourself tonight as someone who is spiritually handicapped? Someone who is weak. Friends, can I be honest? This campus is tailor-made to keep you away from Jesus. To keep you away from the kingdom of God. Why? Because life here at Ole Miss is about strength. It's about beauty. It's about having it all together. And the only problem with that is it's totally contrary to the kingdom of God. Because Jesus says His kingdom in Christianity is about weakness. Not about strength. Do you feel like a failure tonight? Do you feel like a spiritual failure? Do you feel like, I never can seem to get it together spiritually. I mean, I try, and then it seems like a temptation comes, and boom, it just knocks me kind of off the track, and then I'm, I'm reeling, and I can't quite get on track spiritually. So do you feel like a spiritual failure? Maybe you do. Here's some good news. This passage is should be water to your soul. Because here's what it says. It says God does not only rescue failures, but He actually uses failures to accomplish His purposes in the world. Let this encourage you. Friends, you don't have to be a spiritual rock star for God to use you on this campus for God to work in your life. You don't have to be the Bible answer man in your friend group or in your small group. You don't always have to be bold. You don't always have to be full of faith in order for God to use you. You don't always have to know all of the right answers at just the right time when people ask you about your faith. God uses weak people that have blown it big time. 
and that feel like oftentimes their life is taking two steps forward and five steps back. That's the first point. God uses unexpected people like me and you. Secondly, this passage shows us that He delivers in a very unexpected way. Look at verses 15 through 26. And so Ehud goes to Eglon. He's sent there to deliver God's people. And he claims to have a word from God. And so Eglon, because someone is coming saying they've got a word from the Lord, out of reverence, Eglon knows to stand. And so he stands up in Ehud's presence. And notice verse 21. The story goes into slow motion. And we get frame by frame. It breaks down the story for us. And it slips into slow motion and see every detail. And so when Eglon stands up, Ehud takes this long knife and he stabs it into his stomach. And the king, it says, is so fat that the fat actually rose over the end of the knife. Isn't that crazy? It's actually meant for you to laugh, so you can laugh. It actually is to the Israelites. This was meant to be funny. And so it closes over the end of the knife and it actually goes out his back. He falls out dead on the floor. And then look at verse 22. The text reads, The dung came out. Translation, he pooped himself. (laughs) That's what happened. And so here it is. His lackeys who were on a coffee break come back in. Remember, he dismisses them. They come back in and the smell is so horrendous (laughs) that they actually think he's in the bathroom. And so they wait outside the door trying to give him privacy and they wait and they wait and they finally are thinking he's either dead or something's wrong or he's into a really good book. (laughs) And so they finally say, something's not right. They open up the doors and they see Eglon dead on the floor and Ehud is nowhere to be found. He has escaped. But how does he escape? He escapes in a very unexpected way. Look at verse 23. It says that he went out to the porch. Again, something's lost in the translation there. In the Hebrew, it doesn't say porch. It actually says the place of concealment, which is a synonym for the toilet. (laughs) In other words, this is about to get a whole lot filthier. Because what this is saying is that he actually escapes by crawling through the sewer. And if you have pictures of Shawshank Redemption right now in your mind, that's the picture. It is. That's the picture. Crawling through filth in order to escape. And this might sound really gross, and it is, but it's supposed to be. And the question is, is when we come to the Bible in a passage like this, how do we make sense of this? What do we do with a passage with all of this craziness and this nastiness? How do you handle it? What is it meant to teach us? This passage teaches us this. God doesn't just bring deliverance from messiness. He actually brings deliverance through messiness. 
God doesn't just bring deliverance from messiness, which He does. He also brings deliverance in your deliverance through the messiness in your own life. For example, some of you are in the midst of some very hard situations and very hard things in your life. Maybe you're feeling the consequences of your sin, of your own heart. Or maybe there's drama in your friend group. Maybe there's tension with you and someone in your family. Maybe there's tension with you and a roommate, and all you want to do is to turn and run away from all of those things that are hard and messy as fast as you can. God is calling you to run through it. God is calling you into the mess. Maybe for you, you decided this semester to room, or last semester, uh, this year to room with a really good friend. And you were so excited about it, but now you're wondering if that was such a good idea. Because the tension has started to elevate, and you have gotten really frustrated and really angry and really bitter, and now there's tension between you and your roommate and your friend, and you are simply coexisting. It's all stayed on the surface, and you are holding your breath till the lease runs out so that you can move on with your life and get out of this hard situation. What are you doing? You're running. You're running away from something that is hard and messy, and as a result, you're losing a really good friend. God is calling you to run through it. And to run through it might mean that you have to have that really hard conversation and that really awkward conversation where you go to your friend and you say, you know what, I am so sorry for the way I've treated you. Would you please forgive me? And as hard and as awkward as that is, mark my word, that might just be the very thing that actually saves the friendship and causes it to start to grow and to flourish. Maybe that's not where you are. Maybe for you the application for this passage is that you need to start moving not away from, but actually moving into through the very hard parts of your story that you haven't processed and dealt with. You know, I know in a room this size that some of you have had some very horrible things that have happened to you. Some of you have very deep wounds, very deep scars in your life. Some of you have families that are literally feels like they're uh, coming apart. It feels like somebody has pulled the pin on a grenade and actually thrown it right smack in the middle of your family. Or maybe you're dealing with a secret addiction and you're desperately running away from all of it. And God says... You want to be whole? You want to actually move forward and grow and be changed? You've got to get into the mess and start to process it. And yes, it's going to be messy. And yes, it might be hard and really crappy process. Because it might mean that you have to revisit and relive some memories. 
It might mean that you have to retell some stories and it might mean that you have to dig down into these places in your heart that you have locked away and never talked about or dealt with. But if you face the hard stuff, that's where deliverance comes. When you head into the mess, when you face the hard stuff, you'll actually start to grow and change and start to experience life. You see, we want to be airlifted out of the mess and out of the hard situations. We want to escape clean and unscathed, but that's not how it works. God comes and He calls us to plunge into the mess because it's as we plunge into the mess that we're able to get out of the mess. And here's the good news of Christianity. God doesn't stand back with white gloves on and say, all right, deal with it. You know what God does? God actually gets in the mess with you. And that leads us to the last point, an unexpected reason. So why is this passage in the Bible? Why is Judges chapter 3 in the Bible? Simply put, really the whole book of Judges as we're going to see, particularly this passage, Ehud shows us that we need something better. What do I mean? We'll look at verse 30. Ehud brought deliverance to God's people. He only did it for 80 years, and that's good, but not good enough because look at chapter 4, verse 1. There it goes again. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. His deliverance wasn't enough. It wasn't permanent because the real problem, which he never dealt with, was what? The heart which is also our real problem. You see, the book of Judges shows us that we desperately need a better Ehud. And Jesus comes, and He's actually a better Ehud, because like Ehud, He's the most unlikely of heroes. He's the most left-handed person of all, and He delivers in a very unlikely way. Think about it. Like Ehud, Jesus was overlooked, Jesus was obscure, and Jesus was weak. Think about it. Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He was actually born in a barn in a feeding trough. And the book of Isaiah says this about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. Jesus is the most unlikely of heroes like Ehud, because Jesus was a poor peasant who had no place to lay his head, who lived in some obscure town called Nazareth in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, and God looks at him and says, Him! That's who's going to save the world from their sin and from their addiction and from their despair. And not only that, Doesn't Jesus also deliver like Ehud in a very unexpected, backwards way? Because Jesus comes and He doesn't deliver by victory, but through defeat. Jesus comes and He doesn't defeat His enemies. His enemies actually kill Him. And He comes into the world and God sends His Son and says, through My Son, going to the cross, and the wrath 
of God being poured on him for your sins, that is how you're going to be delivered from your shame and your guilt and your addiction. You see that? Your deliverance is through his death. And that's the most backwards, unexpected way that God could deliver his people and save the world from sin. But it's the only way. And it's our only hope. I love John Stone. He was a former campus minister and still works for RUF. He's known for saying, Christians are extending to the world and saying to the world that your only hope is a poor, naked Jewish man hanging on a cross. That's it. That's all we got. That's the only bullet in our gun. That is our fastball. Is Jesus Christ hanging on a cross? I heard a story recently about a 10-year-old boy who grew up basically his first 10 years of life in and out of foster homes. He would get in a foster home, he would get in a home, and then he'd be back in the foster home. He'd go with the family, stay there for a little bit, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. First 10 years of his life. Finally, a couple adopts him, and so he goes from being a foster child to adopted. It started out, things were really good. And then it soon took a turn for the worse because the young boy began to act out. Uh, began to express severe anger and destruction and even violence and even fits of rage. And after one exhausting day, this young couple, as they had been dealing uh, with their uh, adopted son, um, he had gone upstairs and they could hear him just rage through the walls of the house in his room. And so the father walks up to his room and opens the door and the boy is actually under the bed, beating his fist and screaming underneath the bed. He'd crawled underneath the bed. And his dad said, what are you so afraid of? And the boy responds, when are you going to send me back? And then the father, listen to what he does, lays down on the floor slides underneath the bed, grabs his son around the shoulder and looks him in the eye and says, we're never giving you back. You're mine. You belong to me. This is forever. And at that point, that moment on, began a transformation in this young boy's life. That's what Jesus has done for you. We find ourselves in the middle of mess. In the middle of fear. Even fear of what am I going to do when I graduate? I have no idea. Or fear of whether or not someone's going to love us when they know us all the way to the bottom. Or maybe we find ourselves in the middle of shame and all of those things is like a weight on us and a weight that maybe we don't do this physically, but on the inside, it feels like we just want to curl up in a ball, lay down, crawl under a bed and never come out. 
here is your Savior. He doesn't wag his finger and say, get with the program. Get your act together. Do better. You know what he does? He actually gets down, just like that father did. Lays down on the floor, slides under the bed with you, puts his arm around you, looks you in the eye and says, you're mine. I'm never going to give you back. You belong to me. This is forever. Now friends, think about that just for a second. Let that go all the way to the bottom. Because if that goes all the way to the bottom, guess what? All of a sudden, you can be weak. With that kind of security, you can actually move out onto this campus with vulnerability, with openness, with honesty, and you can say, and you can say, this is who I am. Because you have that kind of security from your God. And not only that, with that kind of security, you have courage to face the hard parts of your story. Why? Because when you have that kind of security, you know that no matter what, no matter what shameful secrets are going to come out of the closet of your heart, Jesus looks at you and he says, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. You're mine. This is forever. You see, the messiness of the cross is God saying this. Think about the messiness and the bloodiness of the cross of Jesus. And that is another way of God saying this. I am willing to do whatever it takes, even killing my own son, to make you mine. Friends, that's incredible security. That's incredible love. And that's the kind of deliverer that you need. That's the kind of Savior that I need. Will you come to Him tonight? Let's pray. Father,